electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight on Last Call, Disney's new headache. Why or what? Maybe a little less money going around the Magic Kingdom. Have rumors of Twitter's death been greatly exaggerated? There's a new tweet from Elon Musk you have to hear. Is it safer for kids to play with AI or TikTok? One tech CEO says it's a no-brainer, and he's here, shanked into the bunker. Lawmakers preparing a Capitol Hill grilling for the PGA Live Golf merger. And it is Make It Mondays. We're going to meet the entrepreneur whose streetwear line is booming thanks to some of the biggest stars in sports. All that and much more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Hi, everybody, and happy Monday. I am Brian Sullivan. Good evening here. Good afternoon at West. We're going to get to all those stories shortly. But first up, let's talk China and the just wrapped trip by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Now, Yellen touting the trip as, quote, successful and constructive. She focused on diversifying rather than decoupling the U.S. and Chinese economies and emphasized that, yes, the world is big enough for both countries to thrive. But Yellen also taking some online heat for apparently bowing multiple times in front of her Chinese counterpart, as well as the country's vice premier. Remember, bowing is not a business or government protocol in China. Yellen also asked China to commit to a climate pledge, even as the country is basically building out more coal plants than every other country on the planet combined. Regardless, the trip is the latest step to try to stabilize business and political ties between D.C. and Beijing. Yellen claims the tense rivalry is now on what she calls sure footing. Though remember, the Trump-era tariffs are still in place. And a few days before Yellen arrived, China restricted the export of two minerals that are critical to semiconductor manufacturing. But is the real risk here more military than economic? Your first guest says it is. Joining us now is Heyman Capital Management founder, Legendary hedge funder Kyle Bass, he is set to give a speech on how China may be preparing for war. That speech at the Hudson Institute on Wednesday. Kyle, good to have you back on. I want to get to that speech in a moment. But first up, your take on Yellen's visit to Beijing. Was anything material and concrete accomplished? You know, I think looking at the backdrop, first of all, great to be here, Brian. Good to see you. Uh, The backdrop for Yellen's visit was on the back of Secretary Blinken's visit. Uh, I call it the tour of of appeasement. Uh, You know, someone energized the appeasement caucus in D.C. And here we are going hat in hand with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin begging multiple times for China to do something responsible and install uh, some fail safes uh, between our militaries, at least have communications between our top military uh, commanders. Our current Admiral Pacific Fleet Admiral Sam Paparo doesn't have a hotline to the Admiral of the PLA Navy, which is insane. 
it's very irresponsible, but that's just par for the course with China. When, you know, the the COVID uh, virus broke out, they, uh, you know, uh, removed everything from the Internet and wouldn't let any from the, anyone from the international, com international community in. They don't they don't act responsibly globally in any way, in any manner. And here we go, hat in hand, uh, begging for meetings. And that's something that this administration is very good at. You know, I try to stay nonpartisan. But what I'm seeing out of D.C. begging for meetings with a uh, uh, a leader, an autocratic despot that has publicly announced and reaffirmed his limitless partnership with the world's greatest war criminal makes no sense to me, Brian, other than um, we're willing to just set aside uh, the yeah. horrible actions of this country in exchange for potentially an economic uh, a detente. Well, and Blinken, Kyle, from what, I from what I understand, Blinken's meeting was about 30, 35 minutes long, of which after pleasantries and Xi Jinping did most of the talking. It, you wonder if Blinken got five to nine minutes of actual U.S. dialogue to uh, Xi and the others in the room. That aside, you tweeted out something today, basically that, you know, Secretary Yellen, who is the Treasury Secretary of the United States and a former labor economist, the headline is she's there in part to try to get them to recommit to a climate pledge. That doesn't even seem like that should be on the agenda. It should be on the global agenda, but maybe not for the Treasury Secretary. What am I missing here? Yeah, I mean, if you go read Google, the Treasury Secretary's job description and tell me where the word climate comes into play, it makes no sense. It's not in her purview. And by the way, Xi Jinping has, has said that he will be uh, carbon neutral by the year 2060. We are accepting 40-year climate pledges that, as we know, China doesn't adhere to any of the agreements it even signs and files at the UN, uh, much less a pledge that's verbal. Uh, we're, we're accepting 40-year empty climate pledges yeah. for current for current actions today uh, that severely damage our national security. I think the children are in charge. We don't have anyone running foreign policy in our country that is making sense whatsoever. Everything we're doing is pursuing peace through weakness. And what did we all learn? What did the world learn when you try to, when you try to pursue peace with weakness uh, when facing people like Hitler and Mussolini? It doesn't work. It never has and it never will. And I'm embarrassed uh, that Yellen is talking about climate policy when at the same time Secretary Yellen landed, Xi Jinping was visiting his Eastern military command and telling his troops to prepare for war. The Eastern command is in How do we know Fujian that, Kyle? And it, how, what's how, that? And, and preview your speech on Wednesday, but how do we know that, the preparing for war? No, it's, it's released in Chinese state media. They released it just a, a few minutes before Yellen landed. It was, they were, they were, it was like they were gaslighting our foreign policy. Well, no, no, it, nothing it, it, they do, having been to China a few times, nothing they do, timing-wise, is accidental. No. And nothing they do when they greeted Secretary Blinken. Did you see his greeting? They sent no one that was a high-level official to greet him. There was no proper ceremony. He got off the plane, hopped in a car, and as you said, went and had a 35-minute meeting. If you remember when Secretary Blinken was campaigning for President Biden, he campaigned strongly all over the country on one specific statement. He said, my administration, President Biden's administration, will never trade 
uh, human rights for an economic deal. Well, what did we just do? Well, is there an economic deal, though? I mean, I, I don't think there is. I mean, the Trump era tax tariffs are still in place. There's been no thawing, well, you know, Biden and Trump. You can you can <laughs> put them in different rooms. Their economic policy vis-a-vis -vis China is exactly the same, or at least it appears yeah. to be. Well, I think when you look at those tariffs for people that really understand what went on there, uh, Trump was, uh, you know, being Trump when he announced these tariffs and said it was, you know, a blunt you know, a uh, sledgehammer to, to China's economy. In the end, these tariffs were extremely well thought through by the people that need to be thinking tariffs through. And, and what they did is they protected our domestic steel and aluminum industries, Brian. When you look at uh, what China can do to act uh, as, as a sovereign looking to put some of our businesses out of business so that we rely more on the Chinese Communist Party for our, let's say, strategic aluminum or strategic steel uh, 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 purchases. Uh, the, what they do is they, for instance, China was giving their aluminum smelters free electricity, i.e. that's the number one cost into aluminum, in an attempt to literally put our aluminum smelters out of business. They were acting in non-economic ways to put entire businesses yeah. out of business. And in, I, in, those, ter those tariffs are vital to our national security. As I noted in the intro to you, Kyle, there were there's all these rare earth minerals don't need to go into the chemistry of them. Days before Yellen arrived, China said, well, we're going to restrict the export of these because of national security interests. In other words, U.S., you know, you've passed the CHIPS Act. You want to build semiconductors in the United States, which, by the way, we need to do. And I would endorse that. But you need certain things. Let's not even get into the pharmaceutical supply chain, which so many of these ingredients we never think about in the most common and important medicines in the United States and the world come from China. Given that, now we control a large part of their food supply, they control a large part of our supply chains and things like that. What's the proper balance then? They want corn and wheat, we need these things. How do we bring it together? Look, Brian, in my presentation at the Hudson Institute at the back end, I'm gonna discuss China represents 20% of the world's global population. And they, they currently are hoarding almost 70% of the world's grains. They import 41% of their food, Brian, but they've been hoarding grain. In fact, if you look at the Shanghai grain supply, where they, where, they, where they were storing an enormous amount of their grain, you remember when they were under lockdown in 2022, uh, they, went, they went weeks without food. They never released one morsel of food from their grain, grain supply. So, why do you think they're hanging on to it? Why do you think they're building a larger hoard? Unfortunately, uh, the answer can can really take us to a dark place. Yeah. Uh, but when you look when you look at China and what they're doing, what they're doing in almost every aspect of their existence, it seems to me like they're preparing for a, a very large negative event, which means they're going to move militarily yeah. on Taiwan. Yeah. And, and and meantime, and hopefully there'll be no. Hopefully you're wrong about that, my friend. But at the same time, oh, I hope I'm wrong too. Yes, and and if we were looking to help out Taiwan, we've we've got ammunition shortages because we're going the other way as well. Kyle Bass, Heyman Capital. Good luck on the speech, Kyle. Thank you very much. Uh, Brian, I want to mention one more thing. I know, I know you need to go, but it's really important to understand. We still hold the economic nuclear button with China. Eighty-six percent of cross-border settlements to this day are, held, are are done in U.S. dollars. 
We can press the button and remove China from the dollar system if they act belligerently with Taiwan. We shouldn't put our men and women in harm's way in the Taiwan Strait. We should socialize this deterrent and say, listen, if you yeah. really want to act like that, we actually will press that button. Yep. Use the economic missile instead. Kyle Bass, thank you. Good, great point. All right, we are just getting started here on Last Call. And up next, is some of the magic fading from the Magic Kingdom? A new report says more people may be staying home. Later on, Elon Musk firing back at reports of Twitter's impending demise. Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary will join us with his reaction and thoughts. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... <laughs> 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Time now for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories that you may be chatting about tomorrow morning. First up, some bad news for potential home buyers. The 30-year fixed-rate mortgage reaching a new decade high, on average, 7.38% right now. That, according to Bankrate, is a jump of nearly a quarter percent since just last week. Now, under the current rate, for every $100,000 lent, borrowers will pay a combined $691 per month in principal and interest. Now scale that up. Not cheap, especially because prices of homes in many areas have not come down that much. All right, next up, a significant shakeup at Uber. Its CFO, Nelson Chai, will reportedly be stepping down. If he does, it would mark the biggest executive departure from Uber since it went public four years ago. Uber is not commenting on Chai's potential departure. He oversaw a number of major deals for the company, including the acquisition of Postmates in 2020. Finally, it is kind of known as summer camp for billionaires. It is Allen & Company's Sun Valley Media Conference, and it is set to kick off tomorrow in, you guessed it, Sun Valley, Idaho. And that is where media and technology executives gather to talk about the state of the industry, talk through potential deals, etc., some of the heavy hitters expected at this year's event include Disney CEO Bob Iger, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Apple CEO Tim Cook, and many, many more. Now, one topic of discussion that is sure to come up at this year's conference is Disney. And you may have seen this headline in the Wall Street Journal today. It is that Disney's parks seem a little emptier than they have recently, at least Disney World. If so, could it be another tough hit for Disney investors? Because we know the company has struggled with movies lately, but Disneyland and Disney World have been a bright spot and making the company a lot of money. But listen to this. Average wait times for riders at Disney in Florida 
are down 20 minutes compared to the same date in 2019. Also, UBS today saying that foot traffic at the Disney parks, both, is down as well from last year. Now, to be fair, Universal Parks and Resorts, which is a division of our company, also had a drop. But the question is, is this more of a Disney issue or more of an economic issue? Let's bring in our panel, New York Times columnist, CNBC contributor Jim Stewart, and first president of NBC Cable, founder of CNBC, currently editor-at-large at Newsweek, Tom Rogers. Jim, I'll start with you. Listen, Universal's down as well, and I just wonder, at you know, a couple hundred bucks per person per day, is this more of an economic thing or more of just kind of a Disney exhaustion thing? Well, it's a little bit of both, but I think there's no question there was huge pent-up demand for the theme park experience both at Disney and Universal, in the wake of the, the COVID epidemic. I think Disney itself underestimated how eager families were to travel again and specifically to take their kids to Disney World. That was a top priority. And Disney responded very quickly by raising prices pretty dramatically. They're really good at gauging demand and, and matching prices to that. And the, the earnings there were huge. I mean, a huge bright spot for the company. I checked back today. Pre-COVID, uh, the parks contributed about $6.8 billion in earnings for that year. This past year, it was almost $8 billion, and it's been going strong until recently. But that pent-up demand was bound to wear out, and I think that's largely what we're seeing now. Tom, you agree with that? It's less cultural blowback and more just like, hey, we, we, we basically spent all the money we had. It was this huge push after the pandemic. Let's just go, go, go. And, you know, they might slowly just be running out of steam. Well, I agree with Jim. They push prices, and I think uh, pricing probably has a lot to do with this. There was a hint of this, though, last quarter, when all the analysts were uh, giving Disney accolades about how strong its parks business was. Uh, Disney World was actually down year over year on higher costs. It was really uh, the international parks and cruises that was were overperforming and uh, giving the whole parks division that luster. So this, this is not a, a huge surprise to me. Uh, I think weather could play here. There's been a lot of airline disruption. Um, and, uh, you know, they've probably gotten somewhat more efficient at uh, crowd control and steering people to rides where uh, they're less crowded. But uh, this is still the best asset uh, Disney has right now in terms of performance. And that's a problem because the rest of Disney is really underperforming. Yeah, some of the movies have not uh, have not done well at all. In fact, I think bombed may not be too strong of a word, Tom. But let's flip the script. You heard the other part of the intro, which is Sun Valley. Obviously, a lot of stuff going on at, at CNN with Warner Brothers Discovery and everything else. Dare I ask you, former president of NBC Cable and founder of this fine network, do you think that NBC Universal could be a part of any deal making at Sun Valley this year? Well, if you hadn't said this year, I probably would okay, have I rescind not that any year <laughs> to, that, to that question. This year, I think things are probably not going to end up with a, a bunch of big deals. I think the uh, you know interest rates are very high. One reason M and A activity generally is slowed down. Uh, doubling down on decline in terms of existing traditional TV businesses combining with each other is tough, made tougher by the fact 
the value of the streaming businesses that the traditional media companies has created is very unclear. So pricing a deal becomes very difficult. And I think mostly the Apples, the Googles, the the Amazons, the mm-hmm. Netflix, who are uh, now smack in the middle of the TV business. They used to come to this conference and be viewed as digital media players. Now they're smack in the middle of the same business as the traditional TV companies. And they're just not showing much yeah. interest in acquiring a traditional TV company. So those companies have to deal with each other. There are a lot of social issues with respect to them dealing with each other. So I don't think this year is likely to be the year. Yeah, you just crushed my next question to Jim, Tom, of course, you know, (laughs) which was I was going to ask Jim if he thought, because we know that Warner Brothers probably wants to do something with CNN. If you think that maybe an Apple or an Amazon could actually, I know it's going to sound weird, come in and buy a CNN. Why build when you can buy Probably on the cheap. That's so weird. I mean, the, the dream of the traditional broadcasters, including uh, NBC Universal, is that one of these new players will come in, whether it's Apple, Netflix, Amazon. That's who they're looking to rescue them. And there's no question going to the NBC Universal issue. It's it is subscale. And if the answer to profitability in streaming is scale, which is what everybody seems to think it is, then it's going to have to find a partner, whether it's this year or later. I don't know. CNN combining with NBC News, I don't know, that's that's touchy on regulatory uh, issues and many as well, but I would never rule that out in some kind of future um, alignment. Yeah, I, I think this could be one of the most interesting and maybe most relevant Allen & Company meetings in a long, long time. Tom, Jim, thank you both, guys. Great discussion. By the way, speaking of Sun Valley, Julia Borston's out there. She's got an all-star lineup of interviews kicking off tomorrow. You're going to hear from the CEOs of Liberty Media, Activision Blizzard, as well as Inflection AI co-founder Reed Hoffman, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, SoFi CEO Anthony Noto, and many, many more. We hear that Sun Valley is just lovely this time of year, and hopefully they'll actually get out and just not be in the border. All right, that is tomorrow. Still ahead. Tonight, the PGA Tour prepping for a congressional grilling tomorrow over its Live Golf deal. We're going to tee that up next. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, time now for Daily RBI. Today, let's get random but interesting on some potential money-making opportunities. For you, yeah, we're going to go Full CNBC style in this RBI, and here's why. Stock research and trading firm BTIG just came out with some hot new stock ideas, and we have it. It is the list of the new stocks they've added to their top picks list for the rest of the year. In other words, some of their favorite stocks. Now, there are 21 names on the list. That's a lot. So here's what we did. We took the five stocks with the biggest difference between their current price and the BTIG analyst target price. In other words, the five stocks that they see the most potential upside on. So let's go. Always counting you down in reverse order. Just kind of ratchet up the drama. BTIG has a $105 target on a company called Establishment Labs. Stock's at 63 bucks. 
So that's about 65% upside. Stock four, Farfetch, was 75% upside seen on that London-based fashion tech company. Next up, some company called Bridge Biopharma, where BTIG sees the stock getting $32 per share, which is nearly a double from here. Now, those are three solid potential gains, but nothing compared to the top two on the list. Check these out. BTIG's got a $70 target on a company called Arcus Biosciences, with the stock around 20 bucks. That's a more than 200% jump, 244 to be exact. And then there's this, another biotech, Acumen Pharma, ticker ABOS, $22 target, $5 stock. So BTIG sees a potential $335 or 35% jump in the stock. Okay, wow. Now that is a lot. Acumen, they're a Charlottesville, Virginia-based company focused on Alzheimer's treatments. Six analysts cover it. They've got a median target of 14 bucks, so they're bullish, but not quite as bullish as BTIG. And look, as you well know, analysts get some things wrong. They get it wrong all the time. But given how this is a fresh list and some maybe new fresh names for you, we thought and hope it can be random, but interesting and profitable. All right, in the meantime, a major hearing is scheduled to begin tomorrow on Capitol Hill. Senate lawmakers are set to grill PGA Tour officials over the controversial merger with Saudi-backed Live Golf. So who will be on the hot seat in Capitol Hill? Well, the tour's apparent sacrificial lamb. That is COO Ron Price, and he defended the deal in an op-ed in The Athletic today, writing in part, the PGA Tour now has a great opportunity toward player advancement, rewards, enhance the fan experience, grow our audience, and expand access to the game. The investments this agreement will bring to the PGA Tour will make professional golf more rewarding to play and more exciting to follow. The hearing comes days after the former AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson resigned from the PGA board. He reportedly left his position due to serious concerns about the live golf deal. Not exactly a stellar deal maker himself. For more on the PGA Tour Senate hearing, let's bring in Gordian Group president and golf journalist Peter Kaufman and host of Barstool's Foreplay golf podcast, Sam Bozian, better known as Riggs. Riggs, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I mean, who's going to be there tomorrow? Like, who's, I haven't even heard of Ron Price. No offense it, it's to Ron unfortunate. Price. It's unfortunate. No offense taken, I imagine. But uh, it is unfortunate that we're not going to get the main event that we're all obviously hoping for. I assume uh, that will be coming down the road. We're going to get Ron Price. We're going to get Jimmy Dunn. They were instrumental in architecting um, this entire thing. No, we're not going to get uh, Yasser Al-Ramayan. We're not going to get Greg Norman. We're not going to get Jay Monahan. Um, but if you really look at the way things unfolded, that's quite understandable. This is incredibly early. When they announced this a month ago and shocked the world, there were not many details whatsoever. There won't be a ton of, de- a ton of details yet. They put out a five-page yeah. memo or so where they've talked about some of the details. But either way, popcorn is ready. This is exciting for us. This was one of last time I was on, and thank you for having me again. Last time I was on, we spoke a lot about hypocrisy. That was the word. That was the word of the mm-hmm. day. Now, finally, the PGA Tour and these guys representing the PGA Tour are going to have to answer for some of that hypocrisy, and we'll see what happens. Peter, I love having you on because you got a very unique perspective because in your real life, you are a distressed deal banker. You also love golf, and you write about it. Is this a kind of distressed deal? I mean, if you were the, advising the PGA, and maybe you are, what do you say tomorrow? Well, you got to go back. This is a distressed, hostile takeover. There's no two ways about it. 
uh, the gloss that Ron Price is trying to put on it and that Jimmy Dunn will try and put on it is uh, specious at best because uh, the PGA leadership was asleep at the switch for the past two years. They never were able going to be able to beat back all the money uh, that the Saudis have. Uh, I think the one of the real issues here, Brian, is the players need a seat at the table because I don't think the PGA Tour has their confidence anymore. They shouldn't. They sold them down the river for uh, you know for the Saudi money because they couldn't fight anymore. But they should have known they couldn't have fight, fought a year ago. Uh, as Riggs said, put it a different way, this deal is a quarter baked at best. There is no deal. There was simply a surrender. Yeah. Litigation is halted. Litigation's halted for now. Uh, it's not just the devils in the details. There are no details. And Peter, in your mind, sorry to interrupt, running out of time. In your mind, is it possible the deal does not happen? Yeah, I think it is possible. I think tomorrow you're going to hear the uh, Senator Blumenthal ask about alternatives. If I were advising the players, I'd be all about alternatives. Other private equity funds coming in, maybe even taking the tour public. Uh, there, you know, the, the geopolitical, commercial, financial, and sports issues mm-hmm. are huge and interesting here. And I think deserve a lot of exploration. So, yes, I think that it is quite possible the deal does not happen. You know, Riggs, I was, it was actually golf on two channels at once this weekend, and I, I, I stumbled across it. And there was the PGA Tour and there was a Live Golf Tour. I'd never watched the Live Golf before. I'm not a golf fan. I will say this. The Live Golf Tour seemed more vibrant. It, was like, it seemed more interesting. What, it, will there be a better product if a deal is done? The original statement that you read, um, you know, it, uh, paints it beautifully, that it's going to be great, it's going to be lovely, this capital investment's going to make everything better. At the end of the day, I think everybody's concerned that that comes with Saudi control of a major influential, culturally influential organization in the United States of America. I think for a lot of people, that is a problem. For a lot of people, they want the tour to have to own up and say, is this going to be a gateway for the Saudis to come in and control golf, which three of the top four highest earning athletes in the history of the world are golfers. It goes MJ, Tiger Woods, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus. So they're incredibly influential in our society. So to let Saudi Arabia come in, dominate. Yasser is going to be one of the most controlling figures in the world of golf. I think people have a lot of questions about that. Yeah, maybe get some answers tomorrow. Could be hot if, if poor old Ron Price there. I mean, I don't know how he's the only guy that ended up, but we'll find out what happens. Uh, Riggs, Peter Kaufman, thank you both very much. All right, still ahead. Ditching TikTok for AI. The tech CEO says it is the safer option for kids. Hmm. That's next. All right, welcome back. AI suddenly meeting the wrath of Hollywood. Actress and comedian Sarah Silverman is suing OpenAI, that is the maker of ChatGPT, and suing Meta. She alleges they have used copyrighted material from her books to help train their chatbots. The claims may not stop with Silverman. She is seeking class action status for the suit so more people can join. But while many fret about the potential risks of AI, one top tech exec says... We have far less to fear. That is Tabula CEO Adam Singolda, who writes in a new CNBC.com op-ed that he is rooting for generative AI, even as a parent, and that it is far preferable for kids compared to platforms like TikTok. He joins us now. Adam, why? Why is chat GPT, even though they're not going to be used for the same thing, safer than TikTok? Well, I think, first of all, hi, hi, thanks for having me. I think it all, you know, if, to, if you go back, it, it's, it starts with, what is the information that ChatGPT is even indexing to begin with? And I think, you know, go Sarah, you know, publishers, content creators, they deserve to be paid. 
And it goes back to the question is, you know, what is this engine indexing to begin with? What is the business model? How do you compensate these people for the content we create? Um, and it's important. I mean, I'm concerned about these publishers not making money um, because I think, you know, without them, imagine ChatGPT or, or LLM or any one of those engines without Wikipedia, without the top, without CNBC, without top news websites. You know, it's, it's irresponsible. It's unhealthy. It's like selling uncooked chicken in restaurants. So to me, it goes back to can we find a business model that works? If we can, if we can find a business model that compensates these people, then I think it's beautiful. Because we have these engines, we can interact with them. We have entertainment, we find you know, good conversations. And to me as a parent, and I think to society, it's way better, way healthier than having my kids talking to TikTok about science, about pharma, about healthcare. That's, that's the point. What do you, but I'll tell you what, this Sarah Silverman lawsuit, don't laugh it off because she's a comedian. This is legit. And, and think about this. You do wonder, take this out another layer or two. Adam, if this could be the end, not the end, but like a huge hit to AI, because if, if it is established that this computer learning, which is done, acquired by all the sort of knowledge of the world, which is compiled in large part by actual human beings writing stuff down, you know what? You either got to shut it off or you got to give me a penny every time you reference something that I wrote about. Absolutely. That has to happen. And, and like I said, you know, I think there's a good, it's good that Microsoft is involved. I think this is a company that cares about the open web, about publishers, about journalism. So we have to find a solution, you know, for compensating these people. And then on the other side of it, I think we have uh, something that, you know, that's good for all of us. Um, and again, like I said, the, the key thing here is how do you keep the relationship that publishers and content creators want to have with consumers? We can't just come in the middle, scrape all this content and create something that's an alternative. And another point is, if you go back in time, right, like Facebook actually tried something similar about five, seven years ago. If you remember, they used to call this initiative uh, instant article. They used to host content and it didn't work for publishers. And at first publisher tried to play ball. Eventually it didn't work. And the New York Times left and the Guardian left yep. and the Telegraph left. And eventually we let, you know, everyone left. So uh, history tends to repeat itself. Hence, I, you know, I root for doing the right thing and being on the right side of history and compensating these people who create God's content and journalism. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. But, you know, you can't just take people's stuff unless you're doing the RBI of BTIG's list. Adam Singolda, thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, coming up, is Facebook's new threads blowing Twitter right out of the sky? It's all the rage to say that online, but a new comment from Elon Musk may have the Twitter pundits eating crow. Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary is here to react next. All right, time now for your last call watch list. First up, Carl Icahn's Icon Enterprises surging 20% today. This after reports that the billionaire has reached a deal to untie his personal loans from the company. This comes following that short seller Hindenburg Research report that targeted Icon Enterprises for being overvalued that sent the stock tumbling in May. Icon owns about 85% of IEP. Next up, could Kava be the new Chipotle? Jeffries thinks so, slapping a buy rating on the Mediterranean fast food restaurant, likening its IPO to that of Chipotle's back in 2006. Kava shares jumping 11% on the news. And finally, a quick update on Rivian. Rivian stock up now for the ninth day in a row. Stock has jumped over 80% during that period. 
Last week, Rivian confirmed it is on track to meet annual production guidance. That is on tap, uh, top rather, of Wedbush's Dan Ives raising his price target on Rivian, which originally set the stock surging at the end of last week as well. All right, from tacos to tweets and the new threads. Now, Meta claims its new threads social media app topped 100 million downloads. That just days after its initial launch. And remember, it is still not offered in Europe. There are also reports of Twitter's traffic being down significantly, and the combo of the two is leading some to suggest Twitter is cooked. But Twitter's new CEO is painting a different picture. Linda Yaccarino, also our former colleague here at NBC, says that last week Twitter has had, quote, its largest usage day since February. And then Elon Musk responding to that, saying that when it comes to cumulative user seconds per day of phone screen time, I think we may hit an all-time record this week. So while the PR battle heats up between the two, as well as maybe the, the actual battle between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, there is one group that is kind of wondering what to do. Small business. Joining us now with more is O'Leary Ventures chairman and Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. So you're running all these small businesses, Kevin. Good to see you. You got, a, you got a couple million to spend on marketing. You had Twitter, you had Instagram, and you had Facebook, maybe a little Snap and TikTok over here. Now you got threads. What do you do? We spend over $2 million a month in aggregate. And wow. so we're very concerned about where we put it. And we're looking for return on advertising spend called ROAS. One thing I want to point out that maybe people have forgotten about Facebook and, of course, Instagram, the same universe together, is that Zuckerberg has never forgotten the prime mandate, and that's storytelling. These platforms are remarkably good at allowing small businesses to tell the story of their product or service. They always have been, they always will be. And so when you look at the aggregate spend across 30 plus companies, as we do each week, the majority is still going to Zuckerberg because even during the period where, you know, he was questioned about his desire to be in the metaverse and the stock plummeted, the spend never stopped. That's because the price of acquiring a customer has always been the best on his platform. So when you, you actually look at these independent decisions by dozens and dozens of companies, it's still Facebook, it's still Instagram, and now this this week, my social media team that works together with all the companies so we can aggregate our buy and get scale in our buy has never seen anything like this. It's the fastest growing platform we have. It's, now, it's not really monetizable yet because it. it's so nascent, but this thing's on fire. Well, it you know, okay, it is. And I get all, a user is a download because you got to make a username. I, I assume they're pretty much the same. I am on threads as well, at Brian Sullivan, by the way. And I'm just... I'm not finding a lot of content. I'm, I'm starting to. I know it's super new and super young, Kevin, but I also do wonder, you spend a decade, not you, but people spend a decade building up this or that. Do they really want to start over on something new? No, it's not about starting over on something new. It's simply testing ROAS, return on ad spend. Let me tell you, it's a very simple model. If you can get anything over 2X, in other words, if you have a product or service and you have a 50% margin, and you basically can get 2.5 ROAS, return on ad spend, you move to that platform in a week. We're able to measure this by the day. This is how sophisticated this is getting. And so 
basically, this thing looks incredibly promising. If it can help us drive down CAC, which is customer acquisition cost, and increase our ROAS, our return on advertising spend, past two times, we're all over it. We don't care. We're Every single business, that, and I'm talking on, on behalf of millions of small businesses, we're indifferent. We go where the eyeballs go. We go to tell our stories, sell our services, and get the very best return on our digital spend. And I'm telling you, Brian, I have never, ever seen anything like this. This is unprecedented, and it's not even in Europe yet. And we sell in Europe. This thing, and I'll say it again, is on fire. Fair enough. They're the chicken parm to Twitter's whatever it is. Can they both succeed? Can both dishes be successful? Or does Thread's chicken parm gotta kill the Twitter entree? Is there only room for one? It's like the Clint Eastwood moment, you know, at the end of the movie, Unforgiven, right? No, it's a different audience. The people that are growing very quickly on Threads are tied to Insta and on Facebook. That's where their accounts originated. So they're very, very involved and, with, and, and right now, the community is very positive. There's no vitriol there yet, but it's only got 100 million plus. That'll change over time, I assume. But basically, I love competition. I will go on both platforms with my digital spend. Show me the best ROAS. Show me the lowest CAC. Show me what you got, Twitter. Show me what you got, Threads. Same for you, Instagram. Same for you, Facebook, because my spend is fickle. I am not married to anything. I am married to returns. And I speak now on behalf of millions of small businesses in America that have built their direct-to-consumer models on all of these platforms. This is the new post-pandemic America. We spend on social to acquire customers. We have no loyalty. We are absolutely ready to go anywhere we can to reduce but our costs. But do you costs. worry that Zuckerberg could have too much power? Kevin, he's going to have Facebook, he's going to have Instagram, and if Threads is success... He's going he's gonna to be the big dog. By the way, and Z have you ever seen a quick return? Zuckerberg was like the bad guy for 10 years. Suddenly, he's the good guy. It just shows you that the next hot thing may not be a Zuck project. The one thing I'll say about Zuckerberg that I've known for over a decade now, and this goes back, you know, for a long time, the guy understands the value of storytelling. Think he must feel like the early days of Facebook right now, when colleges were just going geometric in downloading accounts on the original Facebook. He gets the joke on storytelling. Storytelling is how you sell products and services. It's how entrepreneurs in America give you that's their it. vision, give you their dream. If you make the platform perfect for storytelling, mm -hmm. that's how it works. And that's what he's done again. We'll see what happens. Great discussion. Kevin O'Leary, appreciate it. By the way, for all you Shark Tank lovers, you can watch it right here after Last Call tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. All right, coming up, it is Make It Mondays. And speaking of storytellers, we have got a great one for the great state of New Jersey, the founder of Brown Mill. Next. All right, as we always like to do on our Monday shows, let's wrap it with a segment called Make It Mondays, where we spotlight some amazing entrepreneurs across America. Tonight, you're going to meet Justice Pitt Goodson. He is the CEO and creative director of Newark, New Jersey-based streetwear clothing brand, Brown Mill. From an early age, I've always been like a hustler, an entrepreneur. I would sell sneakers, sell clothes. 
I just love the idea of selling something and getting value in return. My name is Justice Pitt Goodson. I'm the CEO and creative director of Brownmo Company, and I live in Newark, New Jersey. We have our, you know, mainline stuff, our graphic apparel. You know, we have our, our line that says Think Bigger that we consistently hold in the shop. We also do a lot of one-of-one -one piece with our tailor shop and production team. Uh, we take, you know, donated things, upcycled things, and we rework it. We started the website when I was in college, but we really didn't take it, you know, seriously until maybe 2018. We did like a GoFundMe that worked out well. I think the biggest idea we had was when we did kind of like a subscription model. You know, you have a credit for our website every month. It would allow us to activate that capital, to build a system, to invest into machinery. I think the first person, notable person in hip hop to wear our stuff is uh, Dave East. After that, we open up the store. Newark is a big spot for filming, so a lot of times stylists will come in and, oh man, never knew this is here, this is dope. They'll pull stuff, buy a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. That's how kind of the Gabrielle Union, Dwayne Wade thing happened. The stylist came in and bought a whole bunch of items and ultimately Dwayne Wade liked them and started rocking them. And after a while, Carmelo Anthony and other NBA players, Andre Godala, many more. It's been a blessing, uh, but also something that's been organic. Like I said before, when you're doing something well and consistently, right, people see it and appreciate it and react. All right, Mr. Brown Mill, Justice Pitt Goodson joining us now on set because I love you're doing this in Newark, not New York. Newark needs a little bit of love, so thanks for coming in, Justice, as well. Subscription model for clothes. I'm not getting like all I can wear for 500 a month. I mean, what does that mean? Yeah, that was the early thing we did to really raise capital for our business. Um, it was a crowdfunding model. Uh, when we first started out, we were like, you know, we have a lot of grassroots supporters. Let's figure out a way to get them the most close possible and the most money we can at one time to really scale this business. So that was a huge part of our story. Now we have a store. A lot of people come in they go to our website. So that was a pivotal part of our business uh, history and story. Okay, amazing. You dropped out of college to start this. A lot yeah. of, by the way, a lot of great, we talked about Mark Zuckerberg, you know, a lot of great entrepreneurs drop out of school. What's next? How do you go from the one store to the website to being, I'm presuming, what you would like to be, which is far larger? Absolutely. We have a big uh, plan, a big strategy to do so. A lot of it entails marketing um, and just generally raising more capital for the business. So this year we're doing our first round. We've really... Uh, done a great job of doing that this first six months of the of the year, and um, we're going to continue doing so. And we look at, you know, you talk about Gabrielle Union, you talk about Andrea Godala, by the way, who's a big CNBC fan as well. Listen, the world of marketing is fickle. Yeah. Right? How do you stay cool? It's about evolving. A mentor early on told me that, you know, you always have to stay in the know. You have to know what's going on in your industry. You have to be a master and a student at the same time. So always knowing what's going on and always evolving. Things don't stay the same. Consumer doesn't stay the same. So we have to adapt as well. All right. So where can our audience find you guys? Where are you online? Brownmill.co. Um, .co, C-O. Yes, yes. Uh, or you can go on Instagram, Brownmill Company. All right, Brownmill.co. I did check it out. I think your brother's got a cool pickup truck, that, <laughs> that, that shirt. Yeah. No discounts. I can't accept any, but I do love the shirt. I did check it out. Justice, Thank really you. appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. Thanks for having so, me. Uh, welcome back anytime. Congrats on the Make It feature. Do appreciate that. Go to CNBCMakeIt.com for more of these kinds of stories. We do them every Monday here on Last Call. Hey, that's all the time we got. Shark Tank is next. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.